This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! All right, all right, party people in the place to be. We are coming with the cosmic horror tonight on Nerds from the Underground as we go straight into the strangest of the strange fiction. I'm Johnny. Joining me this eerie and spooky night, we have... Hey, everybody. It's Nala back again to dive back into some Lovecraftian comic books, our favorite topic here at Nerds from the Underground, at least with me and Johnny. Right, right. And what do we have to offer the Elder Gods tonight, Nalo. We will be tapping into the Eldest of Gods. We will be discussing Nameless from Grant Morrison with Chris Burnham on art, as well as The Courtyard from Alan Moore, an Avatar book kicking off his Lovecraftian trilogy. Right, right. But before that, we have our check-in. The Elder Gods will be sated, but we must plug our favorite reads of the week so far. And Nalo... Have you read anything interesting this week, my man, and what was it? I did. I would say that my favorite book that I read this week is a book called North Bend. Uh, Issue 4 just came out from Scout Comics, and it's kind of a multi-layered crime conspiracy theory book, and I really love it. I can't recommend it enough and can't wait till we can cover a full episode on it. Right, right. Yeah, I just kind of jumped into the Scout well myself, and funny enough, my pick of the week is also a Scout book. I bought the PDF digital copy trade paperback for a book called The Wretches that Scout puts out, and man, it was just a lot of fun. Really, really good kind of B-film style sci-fi epic. Really kind of reminded me of like a Roger Corman movie, like real Battle Beyond the Stars type feel to it, and I just totally had a blast. Like, I am really 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 digging scout and yeah like everything i've seen from northman just looks incredible <laughs> hell yeah it's gonna be a good one to cover right right into the books we have tonight first up is of course the courtyard written by the great madman himself one mr alan moore with just stark and eerie grotesque art from Jason Burroughs. And there is no solicit on my trade paperback for this, Donald, so you just go ahead and dive right on in. All right, well, as we said in the intro, this is uh, kicking off Alan Moore's kind of uh, trilogy of Lovecraft-based books uh, for Avatar Press. This one kind of starts off, and it's based around one of Lovecraft's stories that takes place in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Kind of has a lot of allusions and references to these stories, and our main protagonist is an FBI agent who is deep, deep undercover. Uh, and he's kind of some sort of anomaly specialist. They give him the cases that, you know, don't really seem to make sense. And so they have uh, essentially three identical murders across the United States of America. And in each of them, someone is caught uh, with a bunch of dismembered bodies. But in every case, they only admit to killing about one third of them. And no matter what, they will never they don't admit that they killed the rest of the body parts they were found with. And they have no explanation. And they all are from different backgrounds. So it doesn't really seem to make sense from the standard FBI desks. They assign it to uh, our protagonist uh, and as this anomaly detector and he kind of finds out that they all either visited some music venue in Red Hook or had an album of a kind of spooky band and he starts to put the pieces together of you know what could be behind these extremely bizarre and grotesque murders and what's it all about and so that's really where we start with him on a stakeout deep undercover in red hook right right and i'm really happy you brought up the story red hook Horror and our i guess you could call him protagonist like the, the fbi agent is he's just disgusting he's he's a total bigot and some of the stuff that he actually says is referential to the story of red hook Horror. as a lot of people know that hp didn't have uh high opinions of certain types of peoples and that 
story in particular, the way he described like the low rent housing and stuff, it was considered very racist. So it's kind of a neat little nod that Moore did taking that particular story and putting this particular character as like, I guess, the pro tag, because we do follow him, even though he's just completely obscene and and the shit that he says wow yeah this it's this is not safe for work reading it there is there's a lot of really grotesque themes at play here like the descriptions of the mass murders that nalo mentioned and the way that jason burroughs kind of draws the crime photos it's pretty off-putting even for a person like me who kind of really digs the gore so it's a lot of fun it definitely dives really really farther into the gory aspect of the lovecraftian style horror because he kind of just really wrote about how nasty the monsters were and never really did gore in his stories so like more just kind of fixed that for him and just go ahead went ahead and gored him all the way up (laughs) yeah absolutely and just to circle back to my previous point the kind of way that our protagonist who may not be a hero kind of connects the dots as an anomaly specialist is that all of these supposed murderers who were from normal lives were all exposed to a band called the Ulthar cats, which is another Lovecraft reference. Oh yeah. This book is literally like ready player one for Lovecraft fans. Your favorite story is going to get mentioned. They mentioned Pickwick's model. They mentioned Ulthar cats. They talk a lot about Yog sothoth and like pretty much all the greats get name dropped in this. So yeah, like if you're a fan and you're, you're hoping your favorite character or story gets name dropped, it probably will in this book, which is cool. Cause it's, it's only like what 48 pages. So there's a, lot of fan service in this thing and it's just one hell of a story at the same time yeah so let's get a bit into what happens for our listeners so once this guy can i connects the dots uh, that all these bizarre murders have all been exposed to the ulthar cats band he finds out that they play regularly in uh, a club uh, zoth zothik I, mean, I don't know how you pronounce it <laughs> uh, but it's in a kind of church or old building in red hook and he kind of goes there and finds the band kind of speaking in tongues yog sothoth what you would expect from a uh, some sort of Lovecraftian trance, and he asks around, uh, he thinks they're on drugs, and he finds out about this drug called uh, Alco. I'll pause there, but one thing interesting is the setting of this book, this building in Red Hook actually plays a role in uh, Lovecraft's The Rest of the Trilogy, and this building kind of shows up in different errors, which is a cool kind of treat for readers who read the rest of his work. And if you kind of check this out, in the next book that follows up, Neonomicon, there is a really huge allusion to this book. It's it's probably one of the closest tied in, but has nothing to do with the story at the same time type of things I've ever read. It, it's really brilliant the way Alan Moore pulled that off. And yeah, this is a really solid entry into, you know, kind of taking a different stab at the Lovecraft lore. And, you know, it's, it's Alan Moore. Well, what more can you ask for? the great madman himself yeah so as the first foray into his trilogy we get an introduction to a character that he meets in the club that shows up in the other books as well and it it turns out he's the drug dealer for this mysterious alco drug his name is johnny carcosa which is you know basically your name johnny as far as i can tell i think your location on twitter is carcosa yes indeed i bathe under the black stars everybody knows this (laughs) so yeah johnny carcosa is like yeah i can give you the alco you know come to my apartment at like 4 a.m and this guy's on his FBI mission, so he goes to see what's up. And, you know, our story kind of ends there for all intents and purposes to not uh, spoil anything. It does and it doesn't. Let's just say that our FBI agent friend goes on a massive trip. The rest of us just kind of get to see little bits and pieces of it. And we get told a lot more about it in Neonomicon, actually. So that that's pretty groovy as well. Yeah, so we kind of get uh, these classic dreamscapes. Uh, dreams are really important in Lovecraft's work, and this is just like a one-to-one that, you know, these kind of foreign alien words are delivered to him and he enters that dreamscape and 
where we end up is like many other stories um, that the source material is based on where your lead character is, you know, left in a state of complete disbogglement of their brains. They're completely scrambled. They, they don't know their significance and, you know, they might be deeply, deeply affected by that experience. Well, one of the things that really kind of cracked me up about this book and what I kind of saw is true is the FBI agent on his so-called stakeout, like he straight up goes into like this black metal goth club where the Uthor cats are playing and stuff. And like, he's just like there in his FBI suit as it's just like scraggly old man. Like everybody there knew what he was up to, who he was. And I kind of think that he only has himself to blame for being so naively trusting towards Johnny Carcosa. You know what I mean? He kind of was really begging for that one. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a bit full of himself and thinks he's, you know, already been undercover in maybe more normal situations and can handle it. I gotta say, though, that I really uh, want to shout out the artwork here. I think that Avatar has a pretty unique uh, standard for art, and all the books kind of have this kind of grimy feeling to me in a way, or some sort of like existential deep horror looking at everything and there's some nice really touches just like even though he's not a very respectable protagonist as this strange fbi agent little little insights into how his job works in terms of like he has to go to a payphone and get some secret you know lore about the area printed out from a secret payphone and that's where he even gets some hints about the dunwich horror and some other aspects that are going to show up in books like providence and yeah this is just like a really fun time for me. It's totally different. I was really, really excited when I heard that Moore was doing it. And I was already like really into Avatar at the time. You know, Innis was killing it over there. A lot of his books also drawn by Jason Burroughs. Jason Burroughs is incredibly talented, especially with the horror gore stuff. He's probably like A-list horror artist in my opinion and he's actually kind of gotten some big gigs lately he drew moon knight for marvel a little while back and i think he's got something else that he's working on but yeah i was really kind of happy that i saw him blow up a little bit after all his work at avatar because they do have some pretty nice art in their books but his is always like the one where i was just like yeah dude they got bros to do this one it's gonna be nasty can't wait to see it <laughs> yeah and just so for our listeners we've been talking about how this is the first entry into alan moore's uh, lovecraftian trilogy at avatar are. So the follow-up book is called the Neo Nomicon, and that follows a different set of maybe more respectable FBI agents that try to look into, you know, what happened in the courtyard. And this is kind of presumably set in modern times, 2015, 2016. Uh, and the third edition is a book called Providence, and that is really academic and amazing. We should cover it another time. Set in kind of the 20s, around the time Lovecraft was alive. But that is a 12-issue series. But by the time you get to issue, you know, nine or ten or something all these plot threads start to kind of like collide in a way I didn't really see coming. And so if you get started with Courtyard, just know if you go all the way, uh, you're going to have an extremely rich experience reading these books at a level of almost taking like a college course on Lovecraft knowledge plus comic interview. There is just something really insanely wonderful especially when somebody that like alan moore who's already really into demonology and practices magic kind of delves in to a lore like lovecraftian and really plays around with what he can do because the guy has probably a better understanding of like the actual academic stuff that people do believe in certain circles you know what i mean so he can work that into what howard phillips wrote back in the day and he can just completely go manic with it like he did and yeah i'm really happy that you digging these books i got a little buddy named chase who also like kind of got into those recently and he's he's really digging it so yeah like if you like strange fiction at all and you know you don't even really have to have read any of lovecraft's work to really dive into this if you are a fan like i said there's a lot of winks and nods a lot of your favorite stories will be mentioned but you can go into this kind of blind and come out of it as an H.P. Lovecraft fan. 
in a story, or at least strange fiction style. I guess it's kind of controversial to say you're a fan of his. All right, jo- Johnny, that's my story then. <laughs> I never read Lovecraft. I started with Providence. By the time Providence ends, it's a 1920s book almost the whole way through, but at the end, you got FBI agents running around. I was like, what the heck was that? I found out it was a trilogy. I read those and then went over to my local bookstore and bought a hardcover copy of H.P. Lovecraft stories and started reading them. Yeah, that's that's how you do it. I was kind of the same way with Hellboy. Like, I was aware of him, and, like, I knew that my favorite horror author, Clive Barker, had borrowed a lot from him, but I never really checked out his stuff until, like, I really, really fell in love with Hellboy. And then, yeah, I went and bought a bunch of his short story collections, too, and dove right in. And, yeah, it's not popular to say you're a fan of his anymore, but, like, you got to appreciate what the man did for the horror genre, though. You know what I mean? Come on, people. Well, I think that uh, I'm right there with you. And, you know, as you just said, with uh, our protagonist is not that respectable. I think he even refers to how the other FBI agents refer to him as a Nazi. And in Providence, the main character who's set in the time that Lovecraft is alive is um, both Jewish and gay, which is uh, kind of basically addressing head on these kind of concerns with um, questionable beliefs Lovecraft may have held. Uh, reclaiming, though, the kind of advancements he made in cosmic horror and being able to celebrate those ideas while also making it about addressing concerns. And I think we're starting to see that again. There's this new HBO show called Lovecraft Country, where the protagonists are all black during the Jim Crow era and are kind of facing issues around segregation. And the main character there even talks about how his dad scolded him as a kid because he was reading Lovecraft and it says the N-word in it and how he shouldn't be paying attention to that stuff. And so that show also addresses how you can kind of address and own those issues and address them head on, but still kind of celebrate the cosmic horror that it introduced into the American psyche. Right. And, you know, thank goodness that people are being smart enough to kind of do little things like that. I'm really interested in that show. I didn't know it was airing already. I'm definitely going to have to see if I can DVR the the episodes that I missed. Yeah, there's only one episode out so far. And oh, cool. Started as a good time. Hells yeah. So you ready to jump from one madman from the UK to another? Yep. Uh, this is a treat in that we're talking about two of the greats here. Right, right. All right. Next up, we have, of course, Nameless, written by the Scottish insane, just wonderful Grant Morrison with just really, really great gory art by Chris Burnham, colored by Nathan what, Fairbrian? Yeah. Lettered by Simon Bolin. Designed by Drew Gill and logo by Ryan Hughes. An astronomer kills his family, then himself, leaving a cryptic warning. A veiled lady hunts her victims through human nightmares. An occult hustler known only as Nameless is recruited by a consortium of billionaire futurists for a desperate mission. And the malevolent asteroid Zabulba spins closer on a collision course with Earth. But nothing is what it seems. A terrifying inhuman experiment is about to begin. All abandoned hope and experience ultimate horror (laughs) when i read that solicit i read it in your voice man right on (laughs) cool for the first time i try to be dramatic Uh, i think it's fun for the fans but yeah man this book wow like this one is totally one of those ones where grant wrote himself as the main character right i mean there's no ifs ands or buts about it that nameless is a write-in for Grant himself. Yeah, it seems to be, and uh, this book is just bonkers. I think uh, we're going to have to be creative how we try to describe it to our readers. It also is very Lovecraftian-themed, but space-based, and as this kind of Alan Moore trilogy is very methodically lays out all these uh, references and layers, 
this book is just like an acid trip, nameless in comparison. I'm not even sure where to begin. Well, whereas the Alan Moore books kind of lull you in and you don't really need to understand Lovecraft to understand them, uh, this book, Nameless, it borrows so much from other people's stories like The King in Yellow and you know all the Lovecraftian stuff that uh, you probably would need to have a pretty good knowledge of already written strange fiction to get what he was getting at with this because the beginning opening sequence with nameless stealing the dream key that's like straight out of silver key by lovecraft i think he was kind of hoping that by this point more people or most people had probably checked out you know the ancient ones at this point let's just get into it so we open up with nameless and uh you know it's lovecraftian or to me it kind of reminded me of like some john constantine thing where he's in some sort of dream world being Uh, chased by some fish head gangsters and steals this dream key and as soon as he gets out of the dream world he's being recruited by billionaire futurists to go to the dark side of the moon uh, to try to uh, save humanity from this asteroid that's coming in and he's some sort of you know that's why I'm referencing John Constantine some sort of like necronomicon specialist he knows all about different kind of ancient orders and spells and one thing I just want to highlight up front because this is a space mission Uh, His role is to kind of protect everybody with different kind of symbolisms, and they put this kind of markings all over the astronauts' uh, suits. It's on the cover of the book, and that is just one of, like, the dopest things I've seen. Really, I just got to call that out before we go any further into the book. The sigil magic? Yeah. Just how they're, like, painted on the astronaut suits. It's just awesome. Grant himself, he's a sucker for sigil magic. He'll actually tell you how he's gotten, like, several things in his life that he's wanted through the use of it. So it's kind of neat that he actually kind of worked it into one of his books finally. That's pretty groovy. Yeah, so more or less the Nameless joins this team that is kind of, like, meant to be saving humanity by going to this asteroid. They head out, and it seems like there's some sort of spirit left behind that starts to haunt the base on the dark side of the moon while they head out to this asteroid. And when they get there, it really reminded me of uh, at the Mountains of Madness uh, in this kind of Antarctica at the top of the mountain. They find this kind of unhuman scaled city, and that's really kind of what they find on this asteroid. Uh, What did you think about kind of the architecture and vibe of this kind of alien architectural asteroid, Johnny? Well, the whole idea that he came up with it, the, the fifth planet, the war in heaven, and that the asteroids were actually like unused old nuclear devices made by this ancient alien culture, I thought was phenomenally just fun and really crazy just the kind of stuff that grant delivers but then yeah when you get to it and there's even so much more than like kind of what uh nameless kind of tried to explain to the scientists on the ship there who completely didn't believe him they thought that like oh that doesn't make any sense there was no fifth planet and but like it's all true and I don't know. It's just the architecture and, you know, the, the the use of magic and just how snarky and cynical and you know, very Constantini nameless is made it a lot of fun. But one of the things that I really love is just how kind of dark, nihilistic and cynical the book truly gets when the horror starts. But how it, just insanely funny it stays at the same time, I mean, it's it's kind of just like this really dark-humored masterpiece, in my opinion. It, it kind of just walks this thin line of, like, horror, humor, and, I don't know, psychological break, I guess you could say. <laughs> Those three. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sum it up with Acid Trip, and really in the solicitation that nothing is what it seems. Uh, the majority of the plot you spend your time with on this asteroid mission is, you know, not what it seems uh, if you think about mind-bending dreamscapes and when you kind of it clicks for you what's really happening it's kind of uh adds a whole new dimension to this book that would probably give it a 
pretty close to infinite reread value, in my opinion. And when you kind of have the scenes that are not cosmic-based kind of flashbacks, so that are kind of at these kind of seances that turn very violent and gory, this book kind of just has it all, but it doesn't leave you kind of feeling, you know, despondent. It has that level of humor where, you know, it's just pure entertainment at the highest intellectual level. And I do want to either warn people that aren't too into gore or excite people who are gore hounds like me that when the gore starts in this book, it, it is total. <laughs> I mean, it goes, you know, that director's cut of Event Horizon people say is out there like the mutilation and gore scenes are like that in this. I mean, it goes Clive Barker level, just people being filleted and stuff. So, yeah, there is that, too. But like Donna said, it just kind of stays funny, too. And yeah, it's there. It doesn't offend you at the end. You know what I mean? There's You're not mad or sad or anything. You're just like, wow, dude, that was probably one of the most weirdest, insane, but funny things I probably ever read in the the strange horror style ever. Uh, I can say one thing about this book when I had first got a hold of it because we were going to do the show. I think it was kind of late in the evening and I just sat down outside to you know take a look at it. And once I started reading it, I actually couldn't stop. But my experience reminded me of a famous poet I really like. His name is John Ashbery. And some people describe reading his work kind of like experiencing time passing itself, like the texture of time in the sense that it's very poetic so you're reading it you're enjoying it you're going with the rhythm but as soon as you look up from the page you couldn't tell anybody what the hell you were just reading about uh but it somehow makes sense why they're reading it and i basically couldn't put the book down i read it in one sitting and it kind of felt like this you know real transcendental experience of art uh, profound experience of art in the sense that you know somehow it all made sense on an intuitive level once i was done reading it but i couldn't exactly explain what i had just read yeah i gotta agree with you in my opinion it's probably grant's greatest book since the filth i mean he has quite a few really good books like this under his belt but he hadn't done one in my opinion in a while and this is yeah this is top tier morrison in my opinion i i absolutely just love this it just kind of shows everything in his tool bag you know what i mean and he just proudly displays it his own kind of weird crazy scottish way god bless the man yeah and um this is just kind of my own personal analogy but i kind of like to think how alan moore is extremely well known for Watchmen. morrison is well known for kind of talking trash about Watchmen, but then he kind of wrote his own version in this dc story called pax americana and it's a kind of fun one shot that really plays with the same themes and style of Watchmen. And I kind of like to think of these two books we discussed that are both, you know, tapping into this greater existential cosmic horror and really have their own versions of approaching it. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like really tapping into the same kind of core mystical and exciting ideas. And one thing with the trade, at least, or uh, we don't hate if you trade weight, guys, um, there is a nice, very long essay from Grant at the back that kind of speaks to a lot of the historical references and what he really had in mind for this book. And I need to reread it because he makes the case how this is a, a feminist book about women rising up. And there is a female character who's the son of the billionaire. Doesn't isn't as prominent as Nameless, but given that kind of essay, I need to take another look at it and really re-examine this book because, like I said, I think you could reread this one many, many times. Oh, yeah. This is definitely one that you're going to dip back into just so you can maybe try to understand it a little better. And... Probably for the fun, you know what I mean? Because it is, it's just entertaining. And I know that when you read the kind of credits, there was a designer, and there is something to really say about the page layout here. A lot of the pages with the most kind of cosmic, gory horror and some kind of transition scenes, they use these kind of like extended oval framing for panels, which you don't really see much. 
and it was kind of reminded me a bit of how Gideon Falls really plays with kind of like spatial arrangement of panels and so it just has this kind of like full package design quality where the and especially in the trade you get these kind of samples of the pencil work for the most glorious cosmic scenes and you know i i almost want to buy those originals it's just that impressive oh yeah dude burnham's art this is just killer just so good and uh, much to your point about moore and morrison really being on the same page it's probably because those guys like legitimately like they both practice chaos magic sigil magic they're both very deeply into demonology and all that stuff so like they uh, they're not exactly friends they're kind of frenemies yeah consensual enemies type of thing because there has been quite a bit of beef between the two over the years but they really seem to you know be cut from the same cloth just more seems to be a lot more negative than grant grant always tries to kind of put like a yeah we're all gonna burn to death but hey that guy did something funny before he died and more doesn't put that in his books <laughs> um yeah but i would say you know these books together are like you know cheese and wine or apple pie and ice cream definitely check them both out if you like what we're discussing because this is just the cream of the crop for me the creme de la creme right right and you got any last words you want to say before we kind of roll this up no not exactly i would just say if you do want to get into the alan moore work there are just phenomenal different variant covers if you're a collector and there are kind of rumblings of a fourth book in his trilogy so you know it's not too late to kind of get on board and anticipate what's next sweet and yeah dude avatar they put out like eight different covers for like every issue that they run so yeah if you're a fan of the variants like they're definitely a brand you should probably be looking up because some of the covers are just great but yeah this was nerds from the underground in a very very big tribute to our old gods may as bless us all of course i'm johnny you can find me on twitter at Johnny Alpha 81 and on YouTube at Graphic Vandalism. And I'm Nalo. You can follow me on Twitter at comics underscore finance. I hope to continue the conversation there. Right, right. You can find the show on Twitter at NerdsFrom. We are a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network, and it will be great, and it might save your soul from being eaten by Narlathotep if you were to check out some of the other podcasts on this wonderful network. But until next time, we out. Aloha.